Ever thought about volunteering with Big Sisters? Maybe now is the time. Big Sisters of BC Lower Mainland provides girls aged 7 to 17 with a champion, a mentor who's there to simply be their friend and cheer them on. Become a study buddy tutor and spend one hour a week helping your little sister learn to love school. Or become a big sister and spend three fun hours a week just hanging out with your little sister. If you're age 19 or older, please visit bigsisters.bc.ca to find out more. Maybe now is the time. Welcome to the Arts Report special presentation for Rainbow 24 CITR's LGBTQ Marathon. I'm going to be with you guys from 2 to 4. Are you excited? I'm excited. excited to be able to present some really fun interviews and a little bit of music um, for the next two hours. I'll give you a bit of a rundown as to what we are going to be doing together. Uh, I have a couple of interviews from some local uh, queer writers. We have uh, an unaired interview from Daniel Zomparelli and an inter- some interviews with Alex Leslie. 
Uh, Daniel recently released Davy Street Translations with Anvil Press, and um, Alex Leslie recently released People Who Disappear um, from Freehand Press, and she's actually going to have a bit of a reading for us as well. And then after, we are going to uh, listen to a sit-down I had with Sad Mag. It's a very literary hour, actually, um, where we talk about Sad Mag, which is a, a super queer-friendly and queer-active magazine about some of their past issues, including their queer history issue, their current issue about uh, transplant, East-West transplants, and uh, their future issues about uh, glamour and Animals and Nature in Vancouver, Vanamo. So it was really fun. Um, and then at the end of the hour, we are going to have a bit of a critical discussion with Peter Dickinson, who was a perf- uh, performance theory professor of mine in SFU and is still a performance theory professor for a lot of people. And he's very active in the local arts community. And we're going to talk to him about the meaning of arts in Vancouver and what that does for public uh, and queer participation. Uh, It's a bit of a different format than usual. Um, First of all, um, I'm going to have some long format stuff. Uh, It's going to be fun, and it's going to be a discussion that you can listen to in and out. And don't worry, uh, especially when it comes to the sad mag, don't worry. Uh, We we get to all the good, juicy, queer stuff, but there's a lot of just fun in there as well. Um, I don't know if you guys like fun, but if you don't, too bad. Um, And the other thing I wanted to kind of just talk about, just to bring it down for a second at the top of the hour... um, I'm going to come out as straight right now um, in front of everyone. Um, and it's uh, and the reason I want to do that um, is for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, because except for, I believe, one person, everyone that I interviewed identifies somewhere along the LGBTQ um, spectrum. But I'm the one asking the questions and I'm the one editing it. Um, and so I did my best to, you know, allow other people to speak. But I wanted to... Um, let you know that uh, I'm straight. And the other reason that I want to do that is because I actually think it's interesting um, that people don't have to come out as straight. Heteronormativity, you guys. Get over it. Um, So I wanted to let you know who you're listening to because as with all media, we got to know who's framing the stories and why. It's an important part. And I'm, I'm a media critic from way back. So very, very first off, I would like to give you a short interview with Daniel Zomparelli at the Alex Leslie book launch. Um, He did a reading from his really excellent collection, Davy Street Translations, and um, I believe two issues ago in Extra, he was actually the cover star. And then uh, Alex is even going to talk about that during her interview. Um, so we're just gonna we're gonna do a little literary work to start off the uh, my two hour block here, and um, we're gonna talk about uh, queer literary community in Vancouver and the queer press, and we are gonna talk uh, a little bit about um, just gay writing, just gay it up writing wise. So first off, uh, here is Daniel Zomparelli. I talked about the book launch, um, uh, April 24th, I believe, 2012. And here's him talking about his recent release, uh, Davy Street Translations. Um, I am Daniel Zomparelli. Uh, I'm the editor of Poetry is Dead, and I am the author of Davy Street Translations. And uh, we are 
at Project Space at the launch of People Who Disappear by Alex Leslie. And uh, you also actually have a, a collection curated here as well. Yeah, it's a, an exhibit of chapbooks, so uh, small poetry books that have been created by usually the author or a very, very small press, usually handcrafted. And there is submissions from across Canada and even in the States and the UK. And I chose out um, kind of my favorite pieces to be featured that are a part of even my special collection that I keep for myself. So um, along with the submissions, there is my own personal collection. Um, so Davy Street Translations, um, I think from the title you can guess a little bit about the inspiration, but um, could you elaborate a little bit about why you decided that Davy Street was what you wanted to write about? Right, uh, yeah, it, it's not necessarily about Davy Street. The, the concept was um, to create a book that the book, no matter what, was already going to be subjective. So I thought, well, I'll go super subjective and I'll just only discuss gay Vancouver uh, male culture. And I basically scoured everything like um, text and had interviewed a bunch of friends about stories, had just eavesdropped on stories and researched the, on Craigslist, basically everything to do with gay male culture and tried to replicate it in different uh, poems in different forms. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's an erasure poem, um, there's an overheard conversation, some found poetry. There is a poem called If Vancouver, which, if I may say, I, I really enjoyed. Um, and if anyone has lived in Vancouver for any period of time, you'll definitely recognize a lot of the references, etc. And if you wanted to speak a little bit about that poem, that would be awesome, because you actually reference CICR right in the poem. do 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 uh, yeah, that poem actually wasn't originally in the book. Um, I read it for a reading and then my editor found out and wanted it in the book because it doesn't specifically um, encapture game of culture. It captures more about Vancouver culture, so including, yeah, Nardwar. Um, I had been watching an interview with him at the same time as writing it, so he kind of popped in. And it, it just tries to capture all the random things that we feel really, really anxious about, um, about Vancouver. It, like, it, it attempts to replicate it in kind of a fugue style of poem where it's just really, really repetitive and almost to a point where it feels anxiety-inducing. Um, do you think that Vancouver is the cause of this anxiety, or is, it more, is this more an urban anxiety and this is Vancouver's flavor? Um, yeah, I think there's a general anxiety of society today because I, I feel like a lot of writers are just writing about anxiety nowadays anyways, so pretty much whatever subject I'm going to write about will just be about anxiety. Um, but this one was just specifically about Vancouver and all the things that people tend to fight about and how we or argue about or discuss or, or um, as you're saying, like vague concepts of what Vancouver is. Um, and then it just becomes internalized by the, the narrative of the author and splashed out on a page. Writing in Vancouver has been really, really interesting, and it's, I think, in respect to poetry, we're actually really, really lucky um, because we have so many different styles of writing um, written in so many different forms, and everyone's kind of willing to engage in that. So it's been great as a poet because I've had to limit myself in no way. So I get to be a concrete poet, a, a visual poet, a lyrical poet, um, even at points sometimes a slam poet, and, and there's been no question. It's, it's been it's a free-for-all, so it's really fun. That was Daniel Zamparelli, and I actually had that scheduled a few weeks ago, and I, and I wasn't able to play it, so I'm so happy to have him on. 
Now, at that same launch, I spoke briefly with Alex Leslie about her latest release, People Who Disappear, which is her first collection of short stories by Freehand Books. And I wanted to replay this because it gives us a bit of context for a longer interview with I, that I did with her in studio a couple of days ago. And just at the top of the hour, actually, you heard Atomic uh, by Blondie. Um, and that is actually a suggestion from DJ Jeff Leppard, who also works with me at Sad Mag. He's one of the managing editors. And you will know him from The Cobalt and Hustler and Hippopolistic. And he's amazing. So he has given me a bunch of suggestions. And I'm also going to be playing requests from various artists that are showing up on the show today. So let's listen to Alex Leslie, also at the People Who Disappear book launch, talk a little bit about, um, I believe we talked a little bit about uh, the themes and the writing in her book, and then about one of uh, her stories, Spill. My name is Alex Leslie. I write poetry and short fiction. Uh, tonight I launched my first book of short stories called People Who Disappear. I've written a chapbook of microfictions called 20 Objects for the New World that was put out by Nomados Press in Vancouver. And right now I'm editing the queer issue of a local magazine called Poetry is Dead. Awesome. Now, People Who Disappear, obviously, in the title, the theme. Do you mind speaking a little bit about why that theme uh, engaged you? Um, the, the title really came after the book had been mostly written, um, and it was really an unconscious theme that connected the stories. And then when I was putting all my stories together to send to publishers, I noticed this theme of like emotional disappearance. Um, some, in a couple stories, people physically disappear, but it wasn't like I decided I was going to write 12 stories about disappearing people. But I think that something that is a theme throughout the book is uh, how much bigger nature is than human beings. And a lot of the disappearances in the book are from like ecological destruction or natural disasters. So that could be like a related theme that I was, I was consciously interested in that. One of the things I noticed as a reader was that there was a lot of direct address in the book. And could you tell me a little bit of why the direct to dress, um, speaking to the reader as you, works for you and for the subject matter that you're tackling. I think direct address is used a lot more in poetry than in fiction, so I think that's something maybe I got from poetry. Do you find that these stories reflect your stories, or is it more subject matter that you found uh, you know, enticing or interesting? There's a big variety of stuff. There's some short stories that are sort of based on news things that I saw. There are some short stories that are largely autobiographical. Um, I would never sort of distinguish the difference in terms of the stories because, to me, they're, they're works of art and they should stand on their own. Um, but definitely they came from very different sources. I do like, read stuff and then put it together. That one short story I wrote is obviously based on Justin Bieber. Yeah, so I just, anything that sort of draws me in. As worthy a modern subject as any, He's I think. Totally, yeah, I'm fascinated by herd mentality and why millions of people would do something that I think is weird and lame. What? <laughs> you like who? Okay, I'll write about him. But yeah. why? I find like human motivation is more interesting than what people actually do. Do you have a story that you feel best represents the collection, or even maybe even is your is your favorite? Looking back, 
Yeah, um, there's a short story in the collection that's an elegy for someone who passed away while I was writing the collection, and the short story is called Spill. So if I was saying, you know, if you're like a really broke student and you're standing up in chapters and you're reading my collection, you might want to read Spill. I would say yes. I don't think it's representative, but I think that it does speak to my style. Um, I am very language-oriented in my writing, and if you wanted to, you know, pick one story, I wouldn't be upset if you picked that one. But there are 12, so don't be lazy. I really enjoyed speaking to Alex at the launch. Um, she's a really fun lady, and um, there was a bunch of other people there. They, one of the uh, the person who was hosting, um, Dina, she said that she had exchanged uh, a lot of dirty, dirty correspondence with Alex. And it's true. The rumors are true. Um, she's really good at Facebook, you guys. Um, but I, I was intrigued. I wanted to know more about what she thought about Queer Lit in Vancouver. And she mentioned that she was editing the upcoming queer issue of Poetry is Dead magazine. Now, the deadline for that is today. Okay. And you'll hear her mention it again in the further interview. So what I was thinking is let's listen to the interview then we are going to listen to a request from Alex Leslie um, uh, that I shouted out to her. Um, we're going to play a little Owen Palette, please, 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 of Final Fantasy. Owen Palette of Final Fantasy. Um, and then we are going to listen to her read The Coast is a Road. Um, so we're just going to take a, a quick break and then we will run through that really amazing next 10 minutes. Community is BC's leading queer resource center, including Gab Youth, Education Outreach, Generation for Aging and Elder Members of Our Community, Volunteer Services, Pride Line Information and Referral Line, Anti-Violence Resources, Coming Out and Social Support Groups, Free Counseling, Meeting Spaces, and the Out on Shelves Library. For more information, visit Community on the web at community.ca. Community proudly supports Queer FM Vancouver and the amazing programming on CITR Radio 101.9 FM Vancouver. The Queer Arts Festival in Vancouver is the annual showcase that celebrates queer arts and artists. The festival features a curated visual arts exhibit, a community art show, and three dynamic weeks of cutting-edge performances and workshops from all artistic disciplines, including music, dance, theatre, literary, and media art. This year's theme is Random Acts of Queerness. The festival runs July 31st to August 18th. For more info, visit QueerArtsFestival.com. Sponsored by CITR 101.9 FM. Okay, we are talking to Alex Leslie, who has graciously joined me again um, to follow up on our talk about the uh, about people who disappear. I spoke to her briefly at the People Who Disappear book launch at Project Space, and she mentioned some really cool projects that she has coming up, and I wanted to talk to her a little bit more about the book. So, Alex, thank you very much for joining us again. Thank you, Megan. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the book. Um, in the interview that we did at Project Space, we talked a little bit about the themes and about how um, which of the stories that you thought were kind of the ones to start with if you were just going to read one story, which, of course, you did not encourage. Um, read all 12, you said. And, um, and that was Spill. 
Now, are there any other stories that connect with different aspects of your writing other than Spill that you want to elaborate on? Uh, Definitely. I think that there's, since this is the queer broadcast Mm -hmm. for your station, um, there's a story called Swimmers that's a lot about um, queer clubbing in Vancouver. And um, that's a much more language-focused story. And I would say that in terms of the writing, it's the most experimental story in the collection. Um, There's also a story called Two-Handed Things that's about um, a relationship between two women. And um, the story is told in the frame of all the things that one woman can't do when she breaks her wrist. So like carrying heavy groceries or um, signing her signature she can't do anymore. So that's a story that really breaks down and explores like the minutia of a domestic relationship. I found that one interesting. That was one of the stories. In fact, I would have to say all of the stories have that aspect of specificity towards, um, you know, same gender relationships. But at the same time, the process of negotiating who you are in a relationship and who... And, and the power dynamics that go along with even the best relationships and the most, you know, open communication relationships, um, especially if you have two personalities that are very different. Like, I found that was something that I could really relate to. Mm-hmm. And I found that that was something that really translated throughout all the short stories was that uh, combination of specificity and universality, which I guess is what all the best writing has. Specificity and universality? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And were you attempting to create that kind of balance or is that just something that comes from kind of writing what you know? Did you have it in the forefront of your mind that this needs to be relatable to people who may not identify as queer or who may identify with a different aspect of the spectrum? It's a really interesting question. I think that um, part of me wants to say I don't care whether people relate because they should have to experience something that maybe makes them uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and that um, encountering something that makes you uncomfortable is another kind of relation or relatedness that's really important and that maybe people who belong to a majority group don't have to experience as often. But another part of me thinks, yeah, um, there is an aspect of it that's universal Although, obviously, it's very different to be in a queer relationship than a straight relationship Mm -hmm. because um, I do think that queer fiction can bring to the forefront the fact that these are two humans who are in a relationship who have to negotiate, you know, power differential and problems of living together and finances and who's lifting the groceries and all the things that any couple would have to negotiate so yeah that's a really interesting thing to think about the tension between universality and specificity i really resist universality as a concept in general just because i think that it has a tendency to um make people very passive in relation to themselves like their own difference or their yeah. own privilege. You see, va- you see value in people having to work to engage with something yeah. rather than just easily kind of, oh, I, I see the relation. When it's specific, your personality and your investment in it and people can relate to the experiences that we have. Mm-hmm. We can, we, you can understand that that happened to that person. It's specific to that person. Exactly. Yeah. And, and what, what would that be like for you? 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you can relate to, you know, the emotional experience of being feeling insecure in a relationship. And then you might recognize the reality of a relationship you may not have um, acknowledged before as equal to yours because you've because you've experienced that emotional um, I, emotional loss, emotional gain through the story. So does that answer your question? Yeah, no, okay. I, I like that. Um, now, when we first met and spoke, uh, mm-hmm. you were just launching the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and can you tell me a little bit about if, if you'd like the reception that it's had or anything you've noticed about its reception? Um, just to kind of update listeners since we last spoke about people who disappear. Well, I think we met at, uh, we, we met on April 28th, which was my launch at Project Space. So it's been about a month at this point. Yeah, the book was actually released, was published on April 1st. And before that, galleys were sent out to mm-hmm. review publications. So I felt very fortunate about the reception of the book. Um, I didn't have very many expectations around uh, the reception of the book because it was a book of queer short stories coming out of an independent independent press, uh, Freehand, which is based in Calgary and has done an amazing job with my book. They're just an amazing, amazing press. And the only reason I didn't have told myself not to have expectations was because everyone told me, other writers told me, you know, you're a short story writer and... Really, you're going to have to write a novel, blah, blah, blah. But I've had, I don't know, I've had reviews in the Globe and Mail and the Quill Inquirer and the National Post. And I've had really good responses um, from people who've read the book. And I've read, read in Calgary, Regina, Toronto. And I was just at the Salmon Arm Writers Festival. And on July 9th, I'll be at the Harrison Festival reading. So I've had a really, really positive experience. And it's really made me question a lot of those cliches and warnings i heard about short fiction (laughs) you know it's funny like having been um a book reviewer a little bit for a long time and also have a little bit for a long time it's happened semi-regularly for a long time i've been a book reviewer a little bit for a long time (laughs) for subterrain and and um having actually worked in book retail actually short stories I don't know about what it's like within the actual circle of writers, mm-hmm. but uh, in terms of getting your book out there and actually having it be accessible, I think short stories in today's age are the way to go. Why do you think that? That's amazing. I think... From be- a former Chapters employee. <laughs> well, I think because people often, and even myself, I really love a story. Mm-hmm. And short stories are a way of really encapsulating a moment or a character. And sometimes people don't necessarily have the time or they're intimidated by investing in a really uh, extensive story experience. Okay, great. But with short stories, I find that you can have a lot more variety. I think you can um, you commit to each character for you know the duration depending on how fast you read i'm a pretty fast reader so you know one story is like a bus ride and then i can like go back and read it again and kind of and i can like focus on that so i think that short stories allow more ways of reading okay great um that's really interesting i mean it makes me think of a lot of online projects Mm -hmm. around short stories like um one story which publishes actually have a print they're actually in print, so but they you can check them out online. And they publish one long short story per issue. 
which I thought was like the ideal, the ideal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also Electronic Literature that website that publishes all kinds of short stories. Um, it is a, I think it's also it's a form that really suits the web. Um, there's also Joyland. I have a story called Swimmers on Joyland Vancouver, so anyone could Google that right now and read it. Right now, right this second, right now. Then you have to listen to me, so don't write it well, down. Well, you can Google and listen at the same time. Yeah. Um, but maybe short stories also do kind of cater to a split-focused society. Yeah. Where um, And the way that you write them also is that the idea of a snapshot I find so interesting because you can pick apart that mm-hmm. with um, and kind of do your own work. So we talked a little bit about the reception that you've had since, um, you know, Galley started going out being published um, early April and uh, you didn't actually, you mentioned a lot of really great papers, but I've noticed that you didn't mention any about any reviews um, by Queer Press. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts of that, how you felt about that. Um, that's a really great question, Megan. Um, no, I haven't had any reviews in the Queer Press. I find that um, the Queer Press in Canada tends to focus more on current events, tends to focus, Extra West tends to focus... Um, a lot on like social columns, gossip columns, maybe broadly termed social justice issue columns. Um, there really isn't a lot of focus on um, on poetry. Um, my, my good friend Daniel Zamparelli, who's an amazing writer, just had a cover story in Extra West. It was like a rare instance of a writer being on the cover of Extra. Um, I think it would be wonderful if the queer press could support queer writing more. Um, and maybe if feminist publications could support queer writing more, maybe have a separate column or category for queer writing. Um, but I mean, I should emphasize it's still early days for my book. And I also don't want my question to sound totally Mm self-interested. Like, here's my opinion about queer publishing because of my book. But my, my impression in general is that like the queer press is definitely not a place that I go to read about queer writing. I hear more about it through word of mouth or um, I see that a book published in the Globe and Mail has a queer focus or I see it reviewed maybe in Horizons Online, H-E-R-I-Z-O-N-S, a feminist publication, or maybe like on the Bitch blog. Um, There's an American blog called Autostraddle that I read that has book stuff sometimes, Um, but really like Extra and Extra West, like they... I think they could really step up on their, their now, intelligent arts coverage. Daniel, actually, he did a reading to open for your book launch. And he is actually the editor of Poetry is Dead, which is a poetry and writing um, journal in Vancouver. And you're actually editing the upcoming queer issue. So are you using this opportunity as a way to address... Um, like a dearth of queer criticism and queer writing in in Vancouver. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing with that. Our mandate for the issue is because Poetry is Dead has always brought together different forms of writing, different forms of poetry specifically. So like spoken word, experimental, confessional, different forms of writing, they're usually... um, usually separated in different publications or just in different social cliques in Canada and Vancouver specifically as well. So for our queer issue, we're, the deadline is June, is June 1st when this is airing. 
So if it's June 1st and you're a queer writer and you want to submit to the queer issue, then go to poetrysdead.ca. It's an online submission system. Anyway, so um, for this issue, we want to bring together different forms of writing, but we want to bring together queer writers who are all focused um, on language and who are all um, focused on form as an issue in in their writing. Um I think that the Vancouver queer writing scene focuses a lot on erotica, which is wonderful, but it would be great to see other forms of writing being championed. And um, right now there really isn't, I mean, there's the Queer Arts Festival, which last year had a queer poetry reading for the first time, but there really isn't like um, a space for uh, for queer writing in Vancouver that isn't only sex focused mm-hmm. um and and you know like there are so many queer writers in vancouver who are political or who are doing experimental work like for example jen curran um won the audrey lord award last year the lambda Aud- audrey lord award which is given to uh, the best book of lesbian poetry um and that's a huge huge deal and um it, it got zero coverage in extra west so things like that happen and you sort of wonder like you know why isn't that getting coverage why isn't that as valuable as queer artistic expression um as an erotica anthology or as a one man show or you know and it isn't about um competition it's just about you know as a queer writer wanting to have a public space so we're hoping for the you know for the queer issue of poetry is dead that this will in in some way address that or just maybe expose people to other writing they didn't know was out there i mean that would be the ideal thing and also i'm trying to for the issue i'm trying to approach writers from different generations so we have um you know writers who came up in the 70s and we have writers who you know have their first book forthcoming um so that'll be really interesting too just to get that cross-generational approach because that's another way that queer writing is very separated in Canada. It tends to be, you know, like older writers like Daphne Marlatt are sort of lionized and then younger writers have to be a certain way and write a certain way until they have their first book out and then they're supposed to be more serious and then they have their sophomore collection. So it's, it's all, you know, very stratified in a way. Um, so that that issue will be out in the fall. And if you want more information about the issue being released or how to subscribe to Poetry is Dead, just go to their website, which I think is poetryisdead.ca. Or just Google it. Just Google it, you guys. I know you go to Google.com. No, you go to Bing.com, and then you enter Google. Yes, Jeeves, how to get there. Um, thank you so much to Alex Leslie, who joined me not once, but twice. Um, she's actually a UBC um, girl from way back. She worked at the UBC, and she had a show here. And so um, she's a really great lady, and she wrote a really great book. Um, next up, I am going to play Owen Palette, Please, 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 which uh, I believe is Final Fantasy. Yes, it is. And uh, we will listen to that, and then we will listen to Alex Leslie reading The Coast is a Road, and about a first couple of pages of the first story in her collection. And definitely check out that Justin Bieber um, short story that she mentioned as well. It's not... Justin Bieber is mentioned nowhere in it, but if you have ever seen him on TV, you may have. I think a couple of people have seen him on TV at one point. Um, It is uncanny. It is so well done. All right. I will see you guys again in a few minutes.
Traveling with you will be dangerous when all the wires blow down across the road on the way to point no point. Our first weekend away together, the wires unraveled by the windstorm hang from the poles. When you slow the car, I feel the pulse of dying electricity moving in the dark forest. You keep driving and I moan, staring through the window, you muttering, that is not helping. My breath forms a solid column in the core of my body as we approach the first wire lying across the road. We cross. The texture of the road under the car's wheels plays my leg muscles like zithers. The second wire, the third, each makes me breathe harder. The next will bring down my body, illuminate the forest like a magic lantern, show the bark down to the skin-like grain, 
the marks made by hungry searching birds. We've been sleeping together for a month, but this is when I start to trust your body, when we cross the last dead wire. The rest of the drive goes by in silence. We look through the windows and see what has been left by the storm. Rubble of huge cracked open trunks, pulp of moss and ferns and leaves and needles, mortared together by air made solid by speed, fresh trenches in the forest floor, wet black lines in the earth as if wires or veins had been torn up from underneath. The cabin, when we reach it, is quiet and cold. Ocean stretches calm from the edges of the windows. For the next few days, we pass road crews, clearing the mess away, sawing through the trees that fell after we passed through. I try not to stare at the men scaling the electrical poles, standing in baskets like the crow's nests on ships, their orange-gloved hands working the wires. Was the current cut off completely before we drove through, or did it continue, jagged and trying, moving like pain through an injured limb? I look down at your hand as it covers mine. Any of my friends would chalk it up to shock, but I feel that the wires allowed us to cross over. It's a secret between us, a current between our bodies. In the winter daylight, the menace is gone, the wires high and taut in the still air, telegraphing nothing. In the beginning, all we do is drive. The riddled coast is our hunting ground for concealed beaches, cheap motels, and restaurants serving only sandwiches, fried eggs, and beer-battered fish. I wait in motel parking lots while you go in to book the room, because these are tiny towns and we are two women. The rooms are all the same, beds high and narrow as gurneys, calendar art, plumbing that gurgles and sucks like drain pipes during a rainstorm. These are our first rooms, not the small separate spaces of our apartments, but these stripped-down cells in grey and paisley, live only with the sounds of us and footsteps of strangers on the ceilings and in the halls. You go on these drives around the province for your reporting assignments, articles about the failing fisheries, protests against logging companies. The usual, you say, and briefly I am thrown by how you see all of this as a taxonomy. Then I find this reassuring, your shrewd bird's-eye view of the world, the hours I spend watching your profile, every few kilometers your eye sweeps me sideways. On the mornings I wake up in your studio apartment, I watch from bed as you fill mugs with your bottom, pour in full cream from the half-pint you keep only for coffee. This is one of the first things I notice, the attention you pay to small, intense things, cream for your coffee, the ten-dollar half-empty spice bottles crowding the second shelf of your cupboard, the semi-gloss paint you've used in your apartment, a different color for every wall, directions standing out like disjointed panels of a circus tent. You don't like to give direct invitations. My phone rings and I hear it to hear, and I answer it to hear your voice saying, oil spill and how sound, winds pushing it north, or whales migrating in the broken group islands. Trees flicker by like a film reel in green and grey, and the highway sweeps under the wheels until it is a faint line of colour like no other colour, a faint vein on the underside of the sky's skin, and we drive farther and farther away. 
I'm really, really glad we have that reading. It's it's really nice to kind of hear, um, and we don't get to do that very often on the Oris Report. I should actually guess I should make that happen. I mean, I am the boss, um, but um, we had some really cool conversation outside of that interview as well, just about queer press and about um, how the different uh, communities support each other. And I mean, it's really interesting to me because I'm not in it. I'm not in the thick of it, but being somewhat a part of kind of the reviewing community in the arts journalism community um i find it really interesting um because i I try my best to kind of operate on as much variety as possible and i find it uh you assume you assume that people who consider themselves in the same community but you know what looking at a community from the outside you say oh the lgbtq community well it's also just people. It's just people running businesses. It's people running magazines. Um, it's people who like certain types of music here and other types of music here. It's uh, it's not a solid, um, you know, unvaried mass. And uh, every time someone tells me about not getting support in certain ways, I have to, I always am a little surprised. And I'm like, oh, yeah, by the way, <laughs> not all people are just the same in one community. Um, so it's always good to get those reality checks. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, um, I am going to play a little bit of music. Uh, and then I am going to play um, a two-part interview. It's about 40 minutes altogether. But it's not even an interview. We're just chatting. The Sad Mag crew, uh, creative director Katie Stewart, contributor... Um, uh, Wade, also known as T-Rex, and web editor Michelle uh, joined me in studio, and we just blabbed about Sad Mag. We blabbed about living in Vancouver and the art scene. Um, we we touched on a bunch of random stuff involving the uh, LGBTQ community, our, our different experiences, and I don't know. I had a lot of fun, and it's kind of one of those things that I don't get to play very often, and since you're not here, you can't stop me. Um but yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. So we're going to take a, another break. And when we get back, uh, that will be happening. And you are going to love it. Hey, this is Aiden Saint from Queer FM Hawaii. You are listening to Queer FM on CITR Radio 101.9 FM Vancouver. Thursday nights, Chocolate Milk is going to be serving up some classic house and indie dance realness with some retro 80s, 90s dance and hip-hop at the Shine Nightclub on 365 Water Street with DJs G-Love, J-Douglas, DJT, and CITR's very own David Love Jones, host of African Rhythms. Cover is $5 and doors open at 10. Sponsored by CITR 101.9 FM. Erase, I wanna look good for you. 
hair, I always comb my hair. Make up, make up, pink, blue, purple. I wanna make it good for you. Make up, make up, make up, make. If I wear a dress, he will never call. So I wear my dress. I guess I'll wear my camisole. Make up, make up, make up, make up. I'm not ready yet. Make up, make up. Make up, smoke a cigarette. I'm not ready yet. We're all proud papas. I'm gonna do my little thing right here, okay. So we are sitting with members of the Sad Mag Collective, family. the family, if you will. And though you're listening to this uh, on June 1st or after, we are actually currently finalizing our proofs for the issue that's out now, the transplant issue. It launched at Hip Hop Karaoke at Fortune on May 14th, so go out and find it wherever uh, you're at a bookstore. Make sure that you pick up at least one copy. And the proofs look amazing, so we know that the magazine is going to look even better. And in studio, we have Michelle Reed, we have Wade Jansen, we have Katie Stewart, and myself, Megan Thomas. Hi! Hi. That was really good, you guys. So, um, it would be cool if everyone wanted to step up to the mic and maybe just introduce themselves so that people know your voices and know a little bit about you and know why the hell they're interested in what you have to say. Um, my name's Katie Stewart. I'm the creative director for Sad Mag, and I guess I've been involved with Sad Mag since its very beginning. I remember um, sitting on a, um, a patio having a couple drinks with Brandon and a few other folks. Brandon Gockel, he's the previous creative director, and uh, talking about what we were going to do. They wanted to do some sort of fundraiser to raise money to start a magazine in town. And... Uh, so yeah, it was a it was like a Canada Day barbecue of some kind, and we just basically sold a lot of hot dogs. Yeah, it was great. Um, so I just want everyone to know that this magazine was built on wieners, wieners and barbecues. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And you also you do everything. You do a little bit of everything at the magazine. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of I wear a lot of hats, but uh, generally I come up with. Um, kind of like the skeleton or the the framework on what we build the issue. So some of the ideas and larger concepts um, and just facilitating that actually happening. So connecting with artists and connecting with writers and talking to people and spending too much money on burritos. 
<laughs> beer. The burrito <laughs> budget for Tad Mag is really out of control. It is. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. So my name is Wade Jansen. Um, I am currently working as an environmental educator, actually, but um, I identify as a trans man, and I've been doing some drag work under the name T-Rex, um, which is short for, yeah, short for um, testosterone prescription, if you can kind of get that, T-R-X. And, uh, yeah, and I'm also a writer. And a poet. And you're a contributor to Sad Mag as well, right? You're, you yes. have a contribution in the transplant issue? Yeah, yeah, I have a little dispatch, and, um, yeah, I just talk about it, a little bit about my time in Vancouver. So, Michelle, introduce yourself, and how do you work with Sad Mag? I am the web editor for Sad Mag, and I'm also a print contributor. And sometimes I whore my writing around to other print outlets in Vancouver when they offer me money. <laughs> or when they don't. <laughs> Who wouldn't? That's not, that's not whoring it around. That's in that it case, around. it's just lovemaking. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Great. <laughs> it is. I guess I should introduce myself as well, full disclosure. You guys may know me from the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. I also work here at CITR, and I do ad sales for Sad Mag and, again, help out where I can. My hats are less fabulous and varied than Katie's, but I throw a couple on here and there. So that's all of us, and what we're going to be talking about is Sad Mag uh, in general, but also Sad Mag is part of the queer community, and they kind of are in an interesting place um and i'll let katie speak more to that because she knows a little bit more than i do but from my perspective basically we have a magazine that is an arts and ideas focused magazine but is really connected through the heartstrings and the pelvic strings the two the queer community um <laughs> drag is close to our heart burlesque is close to our heart um, sassiness is close to our heart and it's something that seems to have very naturally evolved um, and we also did recently uh, issue 7 8 a double issue which is the queer history issue let's talk let's talk a little bit about that and then we'll move through our current issue which is transplant and maybe the issue that's coming up and then maybe we can talk a little bit about just all of our all of our histories and and how we connect with the queer community in Vancouver and the queer lit community if that works for everyone sounds good yeah let's start talking <laughs> about what sad mag is katie gives the fish the official like, branded sad mag platform right um it's a vancouver um arts and culture magazine that features the writing and the artwork of folks who are 15 to 30 in general and so the idea is to give a lot of um, up-and-coming writers and artists a chance to be published and to be distributed. And it's something that we really um, take time to ensure that we're having a lot of new contributors. Um, we have a really solid team of writers, and our editorial team is phenomenal, Michelle included. Um, she has written for us um, on a number of occasions and been amazing. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what Sad Meg is in a nutshell, but it's, as many things, it's much more complicated than just being a simple magazine about 15 to 30-year-olds. It's nice to be making a print magazine in a digital era. Absolutely. And that's so important. We're um, making beautiful, physical things that people can hold and page through. Mm -hmm. It's part of the kind of Sad Meg idea that we have moved towards more kind of analog 
Yeah, I guess one of the biggest things when I was coming on as creative director um, was this change. Um, it's kind of ballsy and maybe a bit ridiculous, but it is really important to me. Um, Sad Mag at this point won't be an online magazine. It is so important that Sad Mag remains this like printed, tangible magazine. And uh, like in the same way that sort of like an internet blog or internet magazine can't replace that pr printed format, I'm really passionate that film and Polaroid, those traditional art forms, aren't replaced by digital photography. And so in the next four issues, what I'm really committed to is only featuring the images in, our, in, in the issues will be film-based Polaroid and illustration. So... You know, we come from a world that's so... You can you can make so, something beautiful out of nothing through Photoshop and through digital manipulation and so on. And so we're kind of just bringing it back a notch and looking at something more in its raw form. And I, I feel like Sad Meg does that with so many other things, too. Like, it's edgier, it's raw, it's a little bit... Yeah, the edges aren't, aren't completely smooth, that's mm -hmm. for sure. And I think that that's um, also the people that you choose to profile. I think one of the things that's really interesting about Sad Mag is that they look at people uh, as much as trends. And when they are looking at trends and ideas, they, they do try to connect it to a person or a personality or a, a, a concrete thing within the city. Mm -hmm. um, even when you're talking about these, these wilder themes um, or these wider themes, rather. They're kind of wild. They're, they are kind of <laughs> wild. Now, and you know what? Drag shows up a lot in Sad Meg. What is it about drag and about those kind of performing arts that <coughs> you guys love so much? Well, we have a drag performer here today. So yeah, what, maybe let... Wade should... Um, what do we love about drag? Mm. You know, we've had um, photo shoots with queens and with uh, gender... Um, ambiguous folks or transgender folks in Sad Mag, and just seeing those beautiful photos of of those people is it's moving. I don't know. It's it's inspiring to have that. We don't often see ourselves in print as whether just part of that trans spectrum of which I think drag is a part. It's I mean it's not the same, mm -hmm. but it's it's a part of very gender expression. And uh, so having that evidence in, in print and something that you can kind of hold on to is uh, something that's really important. You know, same way you hold on to your Bowie pictures or whatever. <laughs> From when you're a kid, you know, you keep those things. Can I chime in on this? Absolutely. I think also, like, Vancouver is a small... It seems like a small community that really loves its arts. And mm -hmm. we do, for such a small city, I think, have a really vibrant arts community. Um, and a lot of people are writing about that that community and those activities and even within that I think drag is a little bit on the fringes you know there's a lot of people writing about music and art and theater and I think we try and also represent the fact that Vancouver has a really really vibrant really active drag community that's huge and it's really fun to celebrate that because it does translate so well to the visual medium in the magazine like it's it photographs <coughs> well and it's fun to write about and there's really amazing characters and so it, it works so well for the format, and it's something that you don't see as much in some of the other arts publications in Vancouver. It seems like, um, ironically, 
we in this this current issue that's out now while you're hearing this um we have two people talking about the dearth of a scene in Vancouver we have Shad who's a a performer from Toronto who also performs here and calls Vancouver home and then Geneva B who's out of Toronto and tried to make a foray into Vancouver and, and didn't like it didn't it didn't sit with her it didn't connect with her and when it comes to the music party scene people complain a lot and I'm one of them but when it comes to these scenes such as drag uh, literary burlesque these kind of non party scenes it seems like Vancouver that's where Vancouver really shines and obviously drag is uh, there's a huge party around a drag performance or burlesque performance but the performance is the key thing it's what's driving it rather than the you know going out just to get drunker etc which is fun too <laughs> I, there's nothing against that but what I what I'm trying to say is that outside of the kind of standard club um, dance music there are actually lots of thriving colorful um, welcoming scenes in it and how do you think that sad Meg really fits into that kind of the literary and the the colorful community that we have in Vancouver. How do you hope that it is going to fit in? I just want to backtrack a little bit because I just... um, about why that is that the the drag community and the burlesque community is so key and why we're so interested in it. And I think that it's kind of born from the notion that Vancouver is really a do-it-yourself kind of city. Yeah. If you want something to happen, you have to do it yourself because odds are nobody else is doing it. There's no it. structure, there's no money, <laughs> so you better no, make it happen yourself. Really, right? And I feel like burlesque and drag especially, totally do it yourself. You're there, you're sewing your costumes, choreographing your own work, doing your makeup. It's just like... Promoting it, yourself. Exactly. Everything. And that's very much what what Sad Meg is as well. And uh, it's like an expression, it's something public, it's out there, and it's really, why are we doing it? Um, because it's something beautiful and then we can share it with our community. And I think it's appreciated here. Yeah. Vancouver in general seems like that, is that it's so beautiful, but at the same time can be seen as so gray and so kind of rainy and yeah. cold. <clears throat> and so uh, you gotta you got to create your color wherever you can find it, just for your own... Sanity, and that's where the whole Sad Mag brand comes from. Really, is that idea of, um, are we really sad? Who's sad? Why are we sad? Mm-hmm. Do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about that, just for people who may not be initiated? What is what is that sad part of Sad Mag mean to you guys? Well, it's it's sort of like a tongue-in-cheek seasonal affective disorder reference, um, because a lot of people come to Vancouver and they have this like overwhelming sense of. <laughs> of that the weather is so debilitating and so on and it's no fun city there's nothing to do here and so on and so we're kind of dispelling and confronting some of those attitudes of no fun city Vancouver yeah celebrating all the fun things that you can do and all the fun people doing them because mm-hmm. there are some really amazing things going on in the city and maybe and, and this is really speaks to this issue as well um, the, the transplant of, issue yeah transplant like Vancouver is a transitory city because it's so because it is expensive and because of some of the qualities that are maybe less favorable about the city people come and then they have to move on and so they're here they they can make things they can do things if they're ambitious and they you know they want you want to throw a party you can throw a party you want to create yourself into an amazing drag persona you can do it um and then and then you can move on wherever you need to go 
Because it's not right to Maple Ridge. <laughs> yeah. If you, want to. you could just move right back to Chilliwack. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, a lot of a lot of transplants from even just the suburbs, because obviously it's the nearest biggest city. Um, I might. I actually was born in East Van. That's, which that's, is a weird like yeah. I never knew that was a thing until I start like because I did live in the suburbs a lot of my um, kind of high schooly and first couple years of college and then I kind of moved through Burnaby back to Vancouver which I think is a pretty common story but what I didn't know was uncommon was people being born here mm-hmm. I am also a native Vancouverite yeah I was born radio high five mm. radio high five I'm actually born from the the west side of Vancouver too and then I moved east and have been inching back. <laughs> I'm actually moving from East Van to Yale Town. Oh my god, and then we can hang out with the Real Housewives of Vancouver. Can yeah. we please do a, a sad mag feature in the Real Housewives of Vancouver? Oh my god, can oh, we do an online amazing. feature? <laughs> I think we should do a sad mag feature on the Real House Husbands of Vancouver. <laughs> right? That would be oh, really yeah. interesting. Well, half of them are divorced. Like, they're not housewives, technically. Yeah. Just... I think I that one like... who's been divorced twice and says she's 29, I think she's a drag queen. She looks like a drag Who's that? One of the real housewives. She's not awesome enough to be a drag queen. Like, I feel like that flamboyance is really a necessary part of, but she's of being a drag queen. It's, you know, or a king. Like, there's a there's a majesty involved in that that she does not buy. <laughs> no, but she's certainly performing something to an impressive She's definitely performing. It's performance art. Yeah. Drag, drag is gender performance. Of course. And straight women are the best drag queens. Yeah. In that makes ways. sense. Well, you well, really are. I have a friend who says that. I don't think I don't actually know if that's true. Well, I watch RuPaul's Drag Race religiously, and uh, <laughs> one of the judges is a woman, but she always refers to herself as drag queen because she because everything about her is is painted top. and over mm-hmm. the top, and it's a it's a beautiful representation over the top cartoon of femininity that. Mm-hmm. It's like it's satire. I mean, I see it as satire where you both love and are mocking the societal idea of what is a woman mm-hmm. does would that does that sound accurate to you like i don't know ex- it depends I, I think i mean it's different for every performer probably just to go back to what we were saying earlier is that i mean vancouver loves its beauty but it also loves its artifice right mm-hmm. and Absolutely. um so much of and that's the thing about drag is that it's uh a lot of people it's a kind of a, a very true expression of who they are but it's a very kind of glamorous version of that or a muscular version of that, or whatever they, you want to say. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know for me it was um, doing drag was like this, because I've been doing masculine glamour stuff, and people don't know what to do with it. There's a new wave of drag that you see coming up um, that I think it's the same with almost any art, where you, you, there's the tradition that you respect, but y- if you stay, like you can't stagnate. Yeah. And so the idea of okay, if it's gender performance, then we got to keep pushing that boundary. Because if people mm-hmm. know what to expect, then it's not really as interesting and and yeah. and boundary pushing anymore. But I think if it's like if it's authentic, it's always interesting, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think that there's that, but there's definitely like cultures within performance, right? Where it's like this is what I have to do to be a queen, or this is what I have to do to be a king, and that's what that looks like. Right, so there's definitely, and there's a long-standing culture in Vancouver of burlesque and of drag. Like I come from back east, and it's those are very much overlapped. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I didn't realize that drag performers didn't strip here, because in Toronto they all strip. So that's what I did, and people thought it was shocking. But then I, I didn't realize that 
Yeah. We are being cheated in Vancouver. Are we? I don't know. But I mean, burlesque has such a long, beautiful culture, from what I understand, in Vancouver and mm -hmm. drag too. But I, you know, I, I, f I feel like what's happening is that you know you're moving from west to east side or downtown east because the the um, queer village in Vancouver is kind of in the West End or has mm -hmm. been, and now that's been so kind of. Um, normalized in so many ways and so a lot of that kind of active stuff like is happening at Apocalyptic or whatever and down, t you know, closer to the downtown Which will be side. done by the time people hear this. Yeah. Yeah, so Sadmeg has this kind of connection to the the queer community in kind of just the, the passions of the people who are running it, you know, it just comes out of that. I think also uh, there's the the theme-based connection where we're all looking at colorful people and what's happening in Vancouver. But then you also did have the queer history double issue. Mm -hmm. So how did you decide that that was the time for that issue? What, I think that was, was a grant-funded issue, right? Yeah? yeah, it was. And I think it was also that um, just looking looking back at um, the queer history in Vancouver, there was there was a hole in the representation of... You know, like there's never there's never been um, something so dedicated and so specific as that queer history issue. So it was really important, and uh, yeah, we were lucky enough to get a grant for it, which was fantastic. And I think, well, that was the reason it actually came out. I don't think it would have gone forward otherwise. Um, uh, but it, it's beautiful, and I really feel like that issue kind of bumped Sad Meg into a different caliber of magazine. It was, it, for, I think for us, it was all of a sudden people were maybe from different communities now are turning their head a little bit more towards us and being like, this is, it's a substantial piece. Like we've, since then, you know, universities are interested in stalking us and libraries are archiving our issues and so on. And, and it's, it's, it is really important. Like that, that needed to be published and it needs to be recognized as well. And so, like, I feel so proud to be a part of Sad Meg. Um, I, I've, you know, I've, I feel like I've always kind of been involved, but on the outskirts. And now, um, as creative director, and trying, you know, coming in, following that issue as well. Like, it's just, it's something's been built for me already. So, it's, it's, it's so amazing to be a part of. I'm really interested in hearing about more from you. And we're going to hear a little bit more from Sad Meg uh, after the break. And I really enjoyed having them in. Um, so that was uh, creative director Katie Stewart, uh, Wade Jensen, who's a contributor and a volunteer, and Michelle uh, Reed, who is the web editor and our token straight woman besides myself for the day. Um, also at the top of that interview was Vanity 6 Makeup, which is a favorite uh, if you go to the events of DJ Jeff Leopard, and he sent that one in for me to play. He is the managing editor of Sad Meg, and um, just a nice guy. So I didn't want to leave myself out, um, and I wanted to play something a little older, much like Vanity, uh, not as old as Vanity 6 or Atomic but a lot newer than um, Please, 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 which we've already played. I'm going to play a little Mother, Mother verbatim, which is, uh, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I love the lyrics of the song, and I like, I just love their whole, like, genderqueer songs. I think they're great, and they're a lot of fun. So we're going to play that. We're going to take a, a break, and then we're going to hear uh, the rest of that Sad Mag interview when we return. Um, and I may play some other music 
I don't know. It's all up in the air. It's a fun time.
Today, CITR is painting the airwaves rainbow. Starting at 6 a.m., CITR programmers will be producing an entire day of queer content in celebration of Pride season around the world, delivering messages of hope, fun, warning, and whimsy that may also include offensive language, sexual themes, and excessive on-air nudity. Listener discretion is advised, while indiscretions are strongly encouraged. You know, I really have let the ball down. That's a metaphor, right? No, it is not. I've really dropped the ball uh, or balls on sexual content today. Brad, Brad's in here doing some chores, and that made him laugh, which makes my day. Um, I did have this really great intro worked out because I'm starting with kind of the smaller interviews and building up to the longer interviews. I, I had a whole riff about like easing people into it with the small stuff first. But I didn't do it. So there's a little something, little taste of what would have happened there. Um, we listened to Mother Mother Verbatim from Touch Up. And that was uh, Bon J Stumble from um, the Bratapussy EP from Toronto. And that's actually a request from Ariel Fournier, who is uh, a friend of mine, an arts contributor, and out of town right now. So maybe she's even listening. Um, but I'm not that good at music. So uh, I really appreciate everyone's help. Now, before the break, we heard the first part of an interview with Sad Mag, and we were just talking about the queer history version of Sad Mag that came out. It was their our issue 7-8. So Wade was just asking a question. We are going to hear the answer to AIDS, Wade's question, and he wants to know um, about... Sad Mag is for, you know, 15 to 30-year-olds to express their art. So there's a lot of new artists, a lot of people in the collective. We bring in as many people as possible. And one of the things uh, was that the queer history, I mean, you're talking to what Wade referred to as queer elders. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then it gets silly. It gets a little silly, you guys. We talk about umbrellas. And I was like, should I cut this out? But it segues back. It segues back into queer culture and glamour. So trust me like I trust you. It's, it is really important. Like, that that needed to be published, and it needs to be recognized as well. And so, like, I feel so proud to be a part of Sad Meg. Um, I, I've, you know, I've, I feel like I've always kind of been involved, but on the outskirts, and now um, as creative director, and trying, you know, coming in following that issue as well. Like, it's just, it's something's been built for me already. So, it's, it's, it's so amazing to be a part of. I'm really interested in hearing about more from you, actually, about... Um, from Katie? From Katie, yeah. Sorry, I'm pointing at you. No one can see that. Um, from Katie about... Because, like, I mean, it's queer history, right? But it's a... You were talking in the beginning about how Zedmig is, like, young arts and culture, like, between, you know, what is that, 17? 15, 15, 15 to 30. 15, <laughs> 15 and 30. So, I mean, here we're you are. We're all inching up there, yeah. though. Yeah. We're going to have to expand that. Yeah, we want to keep yeah. doing it. Fifteen thirty-five. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be like young people don't know anything good to say anyway. Yeah. That's so true. No, it's not. Well, I'm just interested in that. You know, you've got a magazine that's for people to be publishing stuff of fifteen to thirty, and yet you're doing queer history, which is talking to queer elders, right? Yeah, but also I think it really some um, anyone can pick up that issue regardless of their age and find something that they can relate to and that they can take away from it. Um, Probably 15-year-olds um, need some queer history, whether they're straight or gay, more than anyone else. And Vancouver's, yeah. like, a young city, but I think there's a lot of interesting cultural history to mine here, and I think, like, getting, you know, 
like young Vancouverites are interested in that as much as anybody is, like mm -hmm. where all these cultural institutions come from. Well, I'm just wondering what you thought maybe the role is in like young people, you know, reaching out to the the older queer community. Yeah, it's super important. And actually, one of the things about that issue was that we had a lot of young writers. So the young the the young people were going in and you know helping create these articles and interviewing people and so on. And so it was sort of an intersection between the queer cultural history, but also our present community of young people, of writers and artists and so on. It seems like Sad Mag is really, could be seen as, rather than a publication, like a space, like a meeting space, a community space. And that's something that's happening in the current issue between... Um, hip-hop in Vancouver. Like, it's a transplant issue. It's talking about... Uh, it's a really cool double issue. Um, when you guys see it, it's like you have a, almost a, a one magazine, and then you flip it over and you get a whole other magazine. Um, and so there's an intersection of East and West, but then there's also the hip-hop in Vancouver, which is a strained relationship <laughs> in some ways, I think, because it, it it's still finding its footholds here. And then you also have the intersection between hip-hop and queer culture through Peach Cabla, which is also, I think, historically a strained relationship. So how do you, how do you hope that people will react to kind of the overlap between these various communities? I mean, obviously you want them to react positively, but do you think that you're hoping to spur discussion because this this issue specifically talks about some of Vancouver's um, maybe lower lower selling points or lower points in in, in, in its party scene and in its hip, in its music scene and you know we're not we're not unabashedly pushing how great Vancouver is we're definitely a critical magazine mm -hmm. how important is that critical aspect to you guys I think people have to decide for themselves if Vancouver is a place that they want to make their home forever. Like, I think a lot of people who move to Vancouver do it knowing that it's not somewhere they'll necessarily be able to stay, which is, I think, the same as, like, people moving to any big city. Um, and Vancouver is more difficult than most for lots of reasons, because we have a terrible job market and a terrible housing market, being two of the big ones. But, I mean, it is such a beautiful place to live, and I think, like, it's worth celebrating that while at the same time acknowledging why people come and then why they go. And I think with a lot of our, what we try and examine in our issues, we want to present ideas and aspects about Vancouver in such a way that people can make their, make their own judgments and really kind of look at something critically and come away from it with their own opinions. We don't want to shove our ideas down anybody's throat. Unless it's a hot dog or... It's hot. <laughs> it's hot dog. Or, you know, it's a, well, it's a wiener-based magazine, mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. we've established already. I think also we acknowledge that you can't get everything in Vancouver that you could get in a bigger city like Toronto or Montreal. Mm -hmm. Like Vancouver is sort of population caps. Um, we're tiny. We don't have anywhere to go besides out to Surrey. And, uh, and I think like um, with this, this issue, especially that's looking so much at the music scene, like we just don't have the population to support mm -hmm. the kinds of things that go on in bigger cities. And so, you know, while we love our little city, there's a lot that you can't get here <laughs> or that you can only get on a really small scale. Well, I was reading recently, so this would be during May, the they're trying to, or they have put a ban on electronica at the PNE Forum, just electronic concerts. And because people in Hastings Sunrise are complaining about the noise. And I find that there's a real generational 
I mean, it's pretty traditional that older generations think the younger generation's music is too loud. But it seems like that's been legislated in Vancouver. Like, it's been put into the basic structure of, well, of how we do events and how we do culture here. And there's so few places for that culture to go. Like, I think the Cobalt has the same thing because there's condos across from it now. And so people complain. And, like, the Electric Owl has all these noise restrictions because there's condos above them. And, you know, the density of Vancouver means that people can't go somewhere and have a loud party because everywhere you go, there's condos around you. People want to go to bed. And rich people condos, and they have, like, they're getting up at 6 o'clock to hike. Which is funny, because that's their lifestyle impeding on my lifestyle. I like to think, rather than my lifestyle impeding on their lifestyle. Because, <laughs> yeah. but it's always, it's always the quiet, kind of more established people who like to hike that are kind of uh, obeyed in the city, I think. But it's, I mean, the thing is that, I, the part of that is just, I mean, this has been talked about lots, but mm-hmm. just, like, the restrictive liquor laws in in the city just make it so that you know house parties do happen but they get shut down pretty quick right Mm. and paddy wagons show up and stuff like that so it's like lots of different places you're able to kind of get around it you know and have these alternative party spaces but i know a lot of spaces have existed but then you know they'll they'll pop up for two months and they they just keep rotating Mm -hmm. and we love them um but they're in places that aren't bothering condos but they're not Sanctioned. Yeah, right? they're not legal. Right? Like that's where the party is. Yeah. And and then it will be there for, you know, a couple nights and then it and then it goes somewhere else. So you really have to be tapped into a community. I, I, I was really frustrated with Vancouver for a long time before I realized that that was going on. Yeah. And that people were really trying really hard mm-hmm. to make stuff happen. But let's talk a little bit about speaking of trends in Vancouver and all that good stuff, let's talk a little bit about the upcoming issue, um, which will be out at the end of July? Oh, the Vanamo issue. Yeah. 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 And then this is another like theme that's close to Vancouver's heart. And I guess we were talking about as food, fur, and foraging. Yeah. <laughs> um, how, how are, how are you going to queer that up? <laughs> <laughs> how, like, I mean, I don't know. Food, food can be pretty gay. But <laughs> I actually, I'm going to posit a theory that may be unpopular. A lot of my friends, when they start identifying as lesbians, also identify as vegetarians. Is that something anyone else has noticed? Or is that a Vancouver thing because people become vegetarians here? <laughs> Silence. Um, I'm a former lesbian and a vegetarian. <laughs> are you a former vegetarian or are you a former yes. lesbian who is now still a vegetarian? I'm a former lesbian and a former vegetarian. So that actually goes to Michelle's theory. Well, Do you notice? <laughs> does anybody, does so. anybody think that there's a... A higher a proportion of vegetarians in the lesbian community. Lesbians are... I come from a lesbian community, and lesbians are wonderful people. Queers are... We identified as yeah. queer, really. Yeah. I don't think I actually ever identified as a lesbian. Um, I, uh, I actually became a vegetarian way before I became a lesbian. Do you think the, that vegetarianism in any other city is an alternative community? But in Vancouver, it's... Vancouver, you're gonna wind like, up maybe connecting with people, and then you're like, "Oh, maybe I'm like them." And then if they lesbians, I don't know. Like, I like, think it's it just brings like, you up against a different type, different here's the of thing. people. Um, the wonderful, I, like, I I think probably all of my former friends would like other people would identify them as lesbians they Mm -hmm. would probably they would identify themselves as queer for the most part Mm -hmm. although i do have some friends that identify clearly as lesbians um but the thing is and i'm gonna say we 
because I'm still part of that mm-hmm. community. Um, we're a passionate community, and they're very politically motivated. Mm-hmm. Okay. Community, yeah. a radical community. And so um, eating less meat is just one part of that, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so, Do you find that it's more, like, animal rights-oriented, or it's more, like, sustainability, or just kind of the, pol- like, in general, political? A million different reasons, but definitely more sustainability, I think, oriented than, than necessarily, like... I mean, the, y- there's so much writing on this, but, um, you know, like, there's a lot around, you know, uh, eating meat as kind of, like, a violent act, but I, I think that's actually really different. Like, I started out of it, uh, most of my friends were, they were from radical communities, Part of it is, you know, if you're living in a tent, you don't have a fridge. Yeah. Like but there, I mean, uh, that's yeah. So like a lot of radical, radical communities, it's just more food goes farther. Yeah. Like, and it's it's a less impact on the planet. Who here owns an umbrella? This is very refreshing to me. I own several cheap umbrellas with the the mindfulness that I will leave them on the yeah, bus. Yeah, I'm terrible. Yeah, you can go too. to Daiso. It's that little, it's like a three-level, two... Or Tinseltown, yeah. Uh, it was in Richmond, in the Aberdeen Center. I freaking love Aberdeen Mall. Yeah, it's kind of it's a magical place. The yeah. They have a fountain, and every hour they have a fountain light show with, like, jets of water and lights. It's like Vegas. To, like, Celine Dion. Yeah, it's because or... no, otherwise no one wants to go to fucking Richmond. <laughs> I would go just for that mall. Exactly. For that mall. But it's not, you're like, I'm going to go to Richmond. What do did I Did you know there? they have disposable underwear at Daiso? You yes. can buy them. The elastic. Well, it's isn't, it, well, isn't all uh, underwear <laughs> disposable, essentially? <laughs> like, really, you could throw it out. <laughs> Do you mean like edible underwear? Like what no, is the like, highly dis- like, like they're not meant to use. last? Yeah, it's one use. Patty. Um, what is makes them one time use? You couldn't wash them even if you wanted to. Yeah, they probably disintegrate. They kind of a, they're a strange sort of napkiny paper. Like, oh, they're paper. Yeah, it's like a, a papery fabric. Yeah, it's not. I anyway, can't think of a single uh, use. You can also buy sexy. umbrellas there. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I Good. Uh, I stopped buying disposable underpants. Bad for the environment. Switched to the two dollar umbrellas. I yeah, it's disposable <laughs> umbrellas. I'm like I can't keep a hold of one. I feel like maybe if I spend some money on one, I'll like no, care about it more. No, you'll but I feel it. like I'll just lose it. You'll lose it, and then you'll be. I did that. I was like, I'm gonna buy. I'm gonna break the bank and buy a fifteen dollar umbrella. Hell yeah! <laughs> Big spender. And then I lost it. I was so angry. I'm like, I'm, j- I'm not going to buy another one. I just, I have a hoodie and I have a jean jacket. I can tell you that, um, just to tie back into the theme of yeah, foraging, I can tell you that I am now, for- I will forage umbrellas. Oh. Starbucks? Fra- well. Is that foraging or is that stealing? <laughs> and what is the difference? I, Discuss. Well, I can tell you that I did find an umbrella on the beach when no one was there. Finding is well, fine. Is- I find umbrellas on the bus all the time. So Hats have been broken already. Yeah, that counts so as foraging. I, I think that's foraging. So I refuse to buy things that I leave places. It's Umbrellas, a circle of life. Though. Yeah, of those things. Yeah, umbrellas, sunglasses, scarves are pretty good. You can probably find scarves. Yeah, mm-hmm. sunglasses Belt definitely. Sunglasses. Yeah, all those things. I I I'm not buying them anymore. This is so smart. I know. We're going back to old times. The recession. It's the recession, yeah, and it's it, it is an obs- it's a recession. And it's an obsession with just like feeling more authentic. I think authenticity, which is kind of funny. Like I think that goes back to the connection with drag and queerness because, like, there's 
what I find so great about performing arts within the queer community is there's this like melding of like the authentic and the ridiculous or the authentic and the completely performative glamorous artifice artifice and but yet that is a way of representing something authentic from mm-hmm. inside and I um like I'm full head like 95% head I'm 90% head <laughs> which I think is actually the progress of most people's lives like they start feeling like they're 100 and then they have life experience that shows them <laughs> um, but no uh, I but I the, the thing that I like is is the burlesque and you know it's it's that gender performance playing with the assumptions about femininity and masculinity and I watched the Vancouver Burlesque Festival and watching Jet Adore who's this uh, he's part of the stage door Johnny's in he, pl- he did this thing where he was like a peacock, like this is to opera. And it was this amazing display of like performative masculinity, but in a way that was, was full force masculine. Guy. Yeah. Check him out online, but he's from Chicago. We <gasps> should just go to Chicago. Yeah. Because I, I did a peacock thing the last time mm-hmm. I was on stage. I hate, hate, hate to cut these guys off. There's another, you know, six minutes um, just just chatting and we do talk about a few more fun things. But I have one more interview that I really want to play and I also won't get back. I had too much fun playing the music um, because I never get to play music on the Arts Report. And I'm thinking of starting to make that happen a little bit more. But um, I wanted to move on uh, to Peter Dickinson. We're going to listen to the first half of my interview with Peter Dickinson um, and it will introduce him and we'll talk a little bit about the performing arts in Vancouver. It's about 20 minutes and then um, I will post both I'll post all the interviews that I uh, posted today I will post them on our Arts Report Mixcloud um, which will be www.mixcloud.com dot uh, com slash uh, arts report underscore citr, or you can just Google it; it pops right up. And uh, all the all the full versions of the interviews will be there. Um, and then the other thing is that we will be podcasting, so you can listen to this all again later, just over and over, because I know that you want to. So I am going to uh, play another uh, Jeff. Leopard DJ Jeff Leopard uh, suggestion from uh, I believe it's gossip. Is that what we're gonna do? I think we're gonna do that. Why not? Oh, Beth Ditto. Uh, we're gonna play a little bit of that, and then we're, when we come back, uh, we are going to uh, listen to a little Peter Dickinson. Okay. 
Today, CITR is painting the airwaves rainbow. Starting at 6 a.m., CITR programmers will be producing an entire day of queer content in celebration of Pride season around the world, delivering messages of hope, fun, warning, and whimsy that may also include offensive language, sexual themes, and excessive on-air nudity. Listener discretion is advised, while indiscretions are strongly encouraged. So, my name is Peter Dickinson, and I'm a professor in the English department at Simon Fraser University. And um, what I do there in terms of my teaching and research is a mix of performance studies, which includes everything from studying theater uh, produced on the stage to um, sporting events from a kind of performance studies angle. So I've written on the Olympics, for example, um, to a whole bunch of things in between, sort of looking at the world through um, a performative lens and not just in that respect from uh, the perspective of the performing arts. Um, and I also uh, obviously teach literature, I teach film, um, and um, since uh, I began have always supplemented all of those pursuits with the kind of gender studies, queer theory angle to my work. Um, so I published a few books, um, the most recent is called World Stages, Local Audiences, Essays on Performance, Place, and Politics, uh, which is very Vancouver-focused. It sort of um, centers my thinking around how performance, the performing arts, um, uh, can sort of shape us into better global citizens, um, can um, help us think about issues of pressing global concern by at once grounding us in a local experience. So that's kind of local, global angle in that. And so there's a lot about um, very specific Vancouver issues that I then branch out on to um, in, in that book. Um, I also have written uh, quite a bit on film and um, uh, just recently participated in a talk back at the DOXA Film uh, Festival on the new documentary about Vito Russo, the pioneering film, queer film scholar, as well as co-founder of ACT UP and all-round um, activist. Uh, and uh, last year I also programmed for Pacific Cinematheque um, a series of films, Canadian films on queer activist uh, film and video uh, that was tied to a conference here organized by a colleague in the history department. So I do try to um, bridge the town-gown divide a little bit by reaching out into doing community things. In that respect, I'm also a board member of the PUSH International Performing Arts Festival, uh, and myself has, have recently started writing a little bit for the stage and have had a few things produced in the city. Okay. So that's about it for who I am. What interested you about performance, about looking at the world through this eye of performance theory and queer performance theory? Um, well, I think that uh, in our sort of increasingly technological, digital, 
you know, wired, connected, plugged world, there's still something fundamentally human about uh, sharing an experience with an audience in front of whatever event. Um, so that could be a theater event, it could be a concert, um, it could be a film for that matter. So, I mean, I'm not saying that the digital lives can't be bridged in those ways. But I think the idea of gathering together as an audience is something really interesting because I think you enter um, as an individual um, with your own sets of beliefs and perspectives and all that sort of thing. And not always, but quite often you become something other than yourself through this audience experience. Um, and that can be quite transformative if it's the right performance, if it's the right people on stage and you have a receptive audience watching those people on stage and there's a shared um, kind of connection, then I really do think that um, that's an experience that can, you can take away and use it as a model for other sorts of, of relationships outside the theater. Because it is fundamentally anonymous in some ways. You don't know who these people are sitting next to you, and yet you are responding um, in similar ways, there's something contagious about the response you have um, to the material if it's good. And so I think that, um, for want of a better phrase, um, there's a way in which performance um, can cultivate publics. Uh, I think some in Vancouver, you know, certainly in my experience of being here, which is since the early 90s, you know, partly for all sorts of reasons. We don't have a public center square, for instance. There's not... Uh, a lot of opportunities to gather outside of what uh, Lawrence Bershowitz has talked about as kind of these spectacle spaces like beaches and things on the fringes of the city. We have nice parks, we have nice beaches, we've got nice playgrounds, um, but apart from maybe the Vancouver Art Gallery, where's our central center space to sort of gather to protest, to rally, um, to do all these sorts of things? Um, I think there's a way in which uh, performance can bring people together as a public and then uh, you can take that experience and maybe use it um, to model other sorts of publics outside of whatever event you're gathering um, together to witness. That's a kind of roundabout response, but that's kind of fundamentally the core of my interest in performance is how we come together as a group and how that transforms us. I'm interested in how specifically talking about LGBTQ and the queer arts and how those communities create space for performance with events and with um, like Pride Parade for example mm -hmm. um, which is uh, a almost a moving space a, a transitory space that performance can happen mm -hmm. and I'm wondering how that, what what that importance is for um, queer arts in the queer community in terms of creating spaces where spaces might not be in order to engage with a particular type of performance. Um, yeah, I think um, I think it's no coincidence that every major metropolis in North America, Europe, elsewhere has, for want of a better term, a gay ghetto. Um, there is, uh, there are just spaces, physical spaces, um, where there is a, a concentration of 
uh, people who live, but also shops, amenities that are quite obviously, um, you know, marked as queer in some way. And I mean, that for all sorts of historical, there are all sorts of historical reasons why that has happened and, and um, uh, has needed to happen in terms of, you know, for safety and for, um, you know, purposes of identifying who your community is and all that sort of things. And there are, are other ways in which that happens across ethnic, ethnic communities. Um, as well. So I think um, it's important to preserve those sorts of spaces. Um, I think as the LGBTQ grows, um, becomes uh, more diffuse in terms of uh, uh, its, its goals and, and all those sorts of things, uh, that there might be um, a tendency to take those um, those enclaves, those historical enclaves for granted. So, I mean, I just, this is a case for making an argument for um, preserving something inherently queer about the West End, the Davy Village, and obviously um, commercial drives um, as well. And so I think this, the festivals that we have around those spaces, those, those um, communities, are really important. Um, and, you know, in Vancouver, there's, it's been up and down every now and then. The Pride Festival Society has gone through for various throws of, um, you know, being on the verge of financial collapse, you know, mismanaged, what have you, blah, 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 but it's come through all of that. Um, and um, I think that's important. Uh, what I'd like to see, I think, um, is that those spaces don't just become associated with those kind of annual celebratory festivals, but in fact that, um, you know, Vancouver, you know, tries a little bit harder perhaps to cultivate um, opportunities, um, venues, performances, what have you, uh, that um, introduce the community to other kinds of engagement that, that aren't just of the parade variety. So, um, you know, reading series and Little Sisters obviously historically has been very important for that. Um, but I think Little Sisters, as all bookstores are these days, are in a fight just because of, um, again, technology and the way things are changing with how people read and what people read. Um, but I think it's, a, it, it's, it's incumbent upon our community to, to preserve that as an important space for um, performance as well. I mean, the authors that have come through there um, uh, throughout the years um, are an important uh, way of gathering the community together. I mean, this isn't just sort of, um, this isn't just about the queer community, it's sort of about arts in Vancouver in general. Yeah, definitely. When you're competing against mountains and oceans, <laughs> yeah. it's hard to convince people to go um, to, to a show. I think that's sort of been a historical battle that the arts community has had to fight. That's not to say that there, aren't, there isn't really important work being, being done here and really important artists who have chosen to do their work here, but it's it's hard to make a living in the arts in Canada and in British Columbia and in Vancouver especially, um, especially if you have a hostile government like we do. Absolutely. I have, um, I had noticed a couple of things uh, living in Vancouver lately and I thought you might have comments or you can tell me I'm crazy or tell me I'm right, but there's two things I've noticed um, specifically about what you were saying about kind of opening up the what space and within that space what's going to happen in terms of queer performing arts and it's still surface level um, because of the style of my participation but one of the things that I've noticed is a lot more 
what might be considered stereotypical um, or even great um, LGBTQ performance in terms of drag and burlesque and that those nights in as well as um, kind of party atmosphere nights have started to become a little more broad like you have um, obviously a lot of really amazing fun events and party events and drag events on Davy Strip but you also have places like the Cobalt and the Anza Club and, and these little pockets where these nights have been quite successful in drawing a really diverse crowd and I also have noticed um, doing as many book reviews and stuff that I've done over the years is that I remember when I first started to do book reviews as a student you would sometimes get these um, queer it would be it would be queer lit because there was gay sex in it <laughs> or there was or there was or they were talking about gay relationships and I and I read a lot more books now that are um, more categorized by their approach to form but you don't see queer lit like warning there's going to be gay sex in this book as much and I wanted to know whether that was something that you noticed as well or maybe it was just my exposure has become different like it seems like there's a there's a less ghettoization in terms of where these types of performances um, and pieces of art can exist mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, absolutely. I think um, we are generally in, um, uh, I'll go into academic speak here. Please <laughs> Sorry. do. That's, um, that's, kind that's, what you're, that's your great thing, then. That's why you're, uh, I want you on. Okay. Um, you know, you could make the argument, and it has been made, it's not an original argument, that we are now in a very post-identity politics moment, right? And I mean, to make that more specific to our conversation, that we're in a post-gay moment. Um, that, that That's not um, denying a sexual difference, um, sexual orientation, sexual identity, desire, all those sorts of things, but that, you know, in the era of same-sex marriage um, and, um, and um, you know, all of these entrenched legal rights in Canada at any rate, um, uh, it's sort of meh, you know, like what's the big deal, right? Um, that now, so you can take that as a kind of um, indication of uh, general human uh, evolvement or whatever, um, and all those sorts of things. Um, and I think to a certain extent that accounts for um, generationally, at any rate, um, a kind of community now. Um, you know, that we could define as queer that is not by any means um, uh, totally defined by one's um, sexual orientation or one's preferences for who one goes, who you go to bed with. Um, and so I think that accounts for, um, in a very positive way, diverse audiences, uh, more diverse audiences at um, drag shows, um, uh, the cobalt apocalyptics, unfortunately, I think is going to um, uh, close now. Yeah, it's on its last night. I mean, but I, I mean, a lot of those nights, what happened was they arose and then new nights, you know, it's... it's yeah. But the, the interest is, of, is still there. It's not even that those nights weren't doing well. It was just that the people organizing it, at least yeah. as far, in my surface understanding of it, you know, people move on. They're like, wow, this is really successful. I want to try new things. But it, yeah. I've been to those nights and uh, it the reception there and the diversity of people is really is really heartening. Yeah. I think two things are involved there. I mean, I think, first of all, if the work is good, no matter who makes it, 
people are going to go see it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's true. And I mean, uh, and I think that that, and, it's, and quite often that devolves onto the energy and talents of a few. And that's why people like Dave and, and Cameron and others burn out, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they're doing it and t- to produce a show like that, you know, month after month after month is just incredible amount of work. Um, so there's that to say. Um, but at the same time, I would want to emphasize as somebody who very actively seeks these sorts of things out across all media, people do want to see representations of themselves. Yeah. So, you know, gay images, gay representations, lesbian representations, transgender representations in and across all media will still be important. And I mean, I think there are still some feelings to break in, in that respect. But I mean, uh, this is an example that is totally, well, it's not off topic, but it's a little bit off Vancouver topic. I was just thinking of a film recently um, called Weekend by the UK director Andrew Haig, which is about these two guys um, who meet at a pub, go home together and develop this sort of very intense relationship that's going to end because one of them's leaving the country, and it's just it just takes for granted that this that these are two men. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of just a really amazing romantic film that happens to be about two men. Um, and okay, you can say it's a gay film, but I think in some respects it's very clearly it doesn't have to be classified under that label. So I, I want to make the case for actually, I guess, having it both ways that we still need these representations, but. Um, um, and it's important to keep producing them uh, by and for our community. But on the other hand, we don't have to sort of, I think we are secure enough in uh, politically, aesthetically, all those sorts of things that we don't have to sort of say, you know, this is my gay film. Like, we can just say this is my play. Um, this is my film. Uh, it just so happens that these characters um, uh, are queer or whatever. I really had a great time uh, talking to Peter Dickinson. I don't know if you've noticed the theme, um, but I have a really great time talking to people. And I love meeting these people and hearing about what they think about the art scene. And I hope it's not repetitive for you guys. Um, Peter Dickinson was a really great professor of mine. I had a, a, he had a, a class. And I, and I use that a lot still. I told him, I said, I use that theory a lot in terms of interacting with people and interacting with the media. I want to thank all the people who submitted to me, to my hand. Um, Peter Dickinson from SFU and uh, Arts About Town and the Push Festival. Uh, Katie Stewart, Michelle Reed, and Wade Jensen from Sad Meg. Alex Leslie of um, People Who Disappear in Freehand Books. And Daniel Zamparelli from Davy Street Translations and uh, Anvil Press. I am... I'm on my way out. Uh, next up, we have Aiden is going to be back. We're going to have some politics. It's going to be the politics two hours, I believe. Hetty Fry. It's, uh, you know, we've been talking really, we had a lot of fun, I think. But also, you know, some critical stuff in there. We were talking about politics and we were talking about representation and space. So let's keep that going. And, um, you know, we had uh, some fun musical requests. I want to play one more request. Uh, Ray Spoon, uh Way Jensen, a.k.a. T-Rex, requested some Ray Spoon, uh, Canadian, transgendered, amazing pop music. So uh, you won't be hearing the outro uh, acapella, guys. Let's replace that with a little Ray Spoon. And thank you so much for joining us. And thank you uh, to Queer FM for organizing this really fun, special program. Have a great afternoon.